here on the podcast, just a few stories from today's show. In the latest COVID-19 restrictions, no more table hopping at restaurants. And how are Canadians faring with the pandemic? We get the latest breakdown on that according to a new poll. We also checked in with the Canadian National Institute for the Blind on how Metro Vancouver is adding new braille and tactile walking surfaces for bus stops. A much welcome change to our landscape. Let's listen in. On Friday, Dr. Bonnie Henry announced some new restrictions on social gatherings as Omicron cases skyrocket. She also announced that guests at restaurants are not allowed to mingle with other people at other tables. Let's have a listen. So restaurants can continue to operate at full capacity, but guests must remain at their table and must and masks must be worn when not seated. So this goes back to where we what took us through the last few waves of this virus, um, of this pandemic, where you go with your group of people to the restaurant, you stay at the table together. There's no mingling and standing and, and mixing of tables. And this will apply for New Year's Eve as well. Here to talk about this is president of the BC Restaurant and Food Association, Ian Tostenson. Hello, Ian. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Reggie. How are you doing? Great. So what is your understanding of the seated distinction that Dr. Bonnie Henry made? Well, you know, we got into this whole um, discussion about table hopping. Last time there was a health order a few months ago. It was kind of funny, actually, the way we look back on this, right? When you go to a restaurant, you could actually go over and visit someone at another table and say hello. And we've ended that again. So it's it's into the restaurant, at the table, stay with your group. And it makes a lot of sense. I mean, when we have the, you know, the variant that's that's out there, this way, it you know, basically allows you to stay with your group and control social interactions. And but more importantly, is you can get to go out, go to a restaurant. We've had in the past, I was thinking this morning, Raji, that we've had uh, who you could go to a restaurant restrictions. Remember that? You could only yeah. go with your family. Yeah. And then there is how many people at a table. And now, I mean, basically, you can go with whoever you want, just stay at your table. You can go with as many people as you want. And so we're actually very grateful that, you know, compared to last year, I was looking back, um, we were under restrictions last year with 10 o'clock closings, uh, fa- at social gatherings with, with family members only, and restaurants close uh, early on eight o'clock, at 8 o'clock in the years. And so we're a long way away from that because of all the different things that we have in place, i.e. the vaccination cards, checking vaccination, high vaccination rates. Like it's a whole different world now today than it was a year ago. Yeah, I think last week when Dr. Bonnie Henry made some new assertions, uh, people, some people just kind of, everything got fuzzy for them and they just went and freaked out about, oh my goodness, new restrictions. But in some ways, they're just kind of so-called new restrictions. A lot of people were already masking properly at a restaurant, I noticed. Um, They were already uh, waiting until they were seated in order to take their mask off. And I didn't see much table hopping happening anyway. What did you see? Yeah, no, you're you're right on. Uh, I mean, I mean so I, here's my sort of latest chant: is you know we're selling safety and health and safety, and, and then we sell food and we sell the experience. But if, you know, you, you don't go to a restaurant. You know, in especially in today's world, we've been disciplined that you go to a restaurant to enjoy the experience at the table. So you don't see a lot of people going to a restaurant to hang out. I mean, I think what Dr. Henry's and this is good advice is that she doesn't want to see people having a quote cocktail party in a restaurant going late into the night and with a whole bunch of people social interacting. 
um, which is obviously that's where she has identified the those those private social interactions as the one that we really have to be careful of this but but you can have your household plus 10 people over Christmas dinner providing you're vaccinated. I think that's really flexible. If you look at it in the context, Ontario shut restaurants down back to 50% capacity. Sporting events in Quebec are zero capacity. So I actually really applaud Dr. Henry for, I see this as, we can work with this, all of us, in different circumstances. We haven't killed Christmas. We're not going to kill New Year's. <laughs> and we're, we're going to do what we have to do here as an industry to to help get rid of this pandemic. I mean, that's that's what really the, the, the goal here is not to maximize fun, uh, but to have fun, but to get rid of the pandemic. Yeah, it seemed like a, a very sensible uh, distinction to have made. But walk me through how it w- would affect people who actually work in a restaurant. Um, in terms of what, Raggy? So for people uh, who were seat, seat hopping, how did that, uh, or table hopping rather, how did that affect uh, workers and people being told now that they should remain at their table? Yeah. How does that affect workers? Well, that's a whole other chapter in this thing. Uh, I'm going to write this book because we went through that one too, remember? Yeah. We went through the mask thing and people were mad about that. And then we went to, okay, we have to tell you how many people at the table. And then there was this sort of underlying, is it, are you really with somebody with your family? And now it's just like, uh, it makes it a lot easier because uh, if m- me as a server, I don't have to say, Raj, excuse me, but would you mind sitting down at the table? I mean, it's almost a little bit elementary, isn't it? Is that, can we just kind of grow up here a bit? So we're going to just make sure that when people come in, there'll be a little bit of discipline at the table, which is working fine. So we're going to check the vas- passport vaccinations. It, it should be scanned. You don't have to, but it should be scanned. And then we're going to check the ID, go to the table. That could be done at the table, by the way, too. You don't have to do that at the door. Mm. And then we're just going to remind people that, you know, under the current uh, health requirements, we ask everybody to remain seated, <laughs> like in an airplane, I suppose, and with your masks on if you have to use the washroom. It's pretty simple. And you know what is that most people, that's what they want. They want to be able to, A, go out, but they want to feel safe. And I don't think that too many people that, probably you know and I know want to go to a restaurant there's like cocktail parties going on and and there's absolutely no sort of health orders being uh, taken care of so I think we want to be able to go out and have a wonderful evening out and which a lot of people are but at the same time feel safe and know that that business owner and the staff are delivering uh, delivering it the way it should be delivered for the sake of you know all of our our future here. Yeah, it's almost like this uh, balance between um, some some sensible restrictions, ones that we can, you know, still will still allow us to meet up with people, enjoy ourselves, socialize, but then that we should uh, practice some discipline when we do it and do it in a way that doesn't infringe upon uh, workers' safety too. And we know officials yeah. are, are obviously they're following the data and the research about uh, what we know around aerosols and how aerosols linger in the air. If you were in doctor. Dr. Bonnie Henry Shoes, what would you recommend in the restaurant setting? Are you pretty happy with what she's recommended? No, I'm really happy because if we go back to, um, uh, there was uh, uh, Halloween where she actually said you're safer in a restaurant than you are in a party. So uh, the word we used was, you know, it's a controlled environment. It's actually a managed environment. Controlled sounds kind of weird with restaurants, but <laughs> we manage the environment. So, we, you know, we keep everything clean. All the staff are masked, you know, 
almost 100 percent of the staff in every circumstances are have now been vaccinated just because that's their lifestyle and that's that's the way they can you know sort of operate and enjoy that restaurant themselves and you know with with no table hopping and mingling it's it's a safe environment we've had I don't, I don't even know of a, of a situation where we've had a transmission from a staff to a, um, a patron and, or vice versa. We had some issues last summer with um, uh, staff who were sort of partying in the Okanagan. That was a bit of an issue. But, no, it's a really safe environment because it's all about health and safety in a restaurant. It always was before the pandemic, but we just doubled down now with, you know, making sure everybody inside is vaccinated. And the best way to go with somebody to find out whether they're vaccinated to take them to a restaurant to see what happens. And, of course, all the cleanliness and all the standards we have and all the masking we have and the minimalization at tables as most things have gone digital. So, you know, the, the industry has just been remarkable. I, I, I absolutely applaud them for how many times they've bobbed and weaved to make sure. Because ultimately, like I said, Raji, is that we it's self it's, it's safety and health that you really want to be assured of when you walk in that door. And I think the industry's done a great job. Yeah, and it's hard for people, for patrons to to enjoy themselves unless they feel like they're in a safe environment. So it, it works for the workers and and patrons. But I'm curious uh, what you've heard about how verifying proof of vaccine is going for restaurants now, now that it's been in place for a while. Yeah, the, the first couple of weeks were um, the calls that we got where the people are staying home or they were, they were going to those restaurants that don't require, uh, which are fast food restaurants primarily don't require passport verification. And then it was going to be, you know, boy, I'm going to have to go hire people. So at first it was a disaster scenario that has now just become smooth operation. It's, it's just like as easy as, in fact, I went to a Canucks game on Tuesday night and I thought this would be really interesting to see how they, you know, pull off 17,000 people. It was easy. It's just a system in place. And uh, it's like greeting someone. Usually when you walk into a restaurant, there's a greeter there. Anyways, it takes, I don't know, 20 seconds or less to scan it. And we just ask people to kind of have it all ready to go as opposed to doing the fumble at the beginning of the restaurant and say, oh, yeah, right. I've done that myself. Of all people, I should know better. But <laughs> Ian, uh, I have to interrupt you to, to tell you an yeah. anecdote around that. I always ask uh, servers how it's going, and I ask greeters how it's going. Um, well, that's just because I'm a, a, in this industry. I end up asking a lot of people too many questions. <laughs> but uh, you know what I have heard a lot? I have heard that people fumbling to look for their proof of vaccination has ended up uh, surfing through inappropriate photos in their phones that the servers and the greeters unfortunately have to see. <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, I, I'm sure that's, that's the case. Yeah, with their date or their spouse going, excuse me, what's on your phone there? Yeah, so yeah, I think your I know, recommendation right? of having it on the ready is a good idea. <laughs> Ian, thanks so much for being with us this morning. Morning. It's an absolute pleasure. Good luck. I love your show. Take care. That was Ian Tostenson. He is the president of the BC Restaurant and Food Association. You might know this by now. You might have guessed that I am a glass half full type of person. I'm an optimistic person. We are getting through this pandemic, fourth wave, fifth wave, whatever. We can do this. We have the tools. But are you with me or are you feeling like COVID is winning? Well, Research Co. has done a survey on it and here to talk about what Canadians are saying is Mario Conseco, president of Research Co. Good morning, Mario. 
Good morning, Reggie. Great to be here with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, what did the survey ask Canadians and what are we saying about it? Well, we've been asking this question since March of 2020. It's essentially trying to get into whether Canadians believe that the worst of the COVID-19 pandemic is ahead of us or behind us. And it has been uh, a true roller coaster of emotions. We've had moments when everybody expects things to get better. Uh, we've had moments where the situation cannot be worse than it is. And what is really fascinating about this year is we were at a point in July, right before the summer, where 72% of us said everything's behind us, we're going to be fine. Then it dropped, then it climbed again, and now it's dropped to 47%. So the fact that we're facing this new variant is making Canadians uh, feel a little more dejected about COVID-19 than they were two months ago or six months ago. Okay, yeah, you said it there, Mario, with roller coaster. I'm, I'm curious, how did uh, these results break down among age groups? Well, it's been a very interesting situation to follow uh, the age groups and also the genders. You know, we see right now a scenario where if you're aged 18 to 34, you're more likely to believe that the worst of the pandemic is now behind us. Um, if you're age 35 to 54, middle-aged Canadians, Generation Xers, you're sort of on the fence. And if you're 55 and over, you know that the worst is actually going to be coming out later. So it's quite uh, interesting to watch in the sense that there are other questions where our emotional connection is fairly similar uh, with age and gender. But on this one, uh, there's certainly a scenario where younger Canadians are more likely to believe that it's not going to get worse. And older Canadians uh, certainly do not share that point of view. That's so fascinating, Mario. Why do Gen Zers think that uh, the worst is over? Well, I think part of it has to do with the fact that uh, we have been given back certain things that were taken away by the pandemic. You know, we are able to go to restaurants now, albeit who knows for how long, for how long because of Omicron. Um, certain things that we had to uh, let go of during specific times of the pandemic are now back. And I think that is one of the situations that we see there's also a situation related to the way we connect to the vaccines. You know, for a long time during 2020, we were told once we get the two shots, we'll be able to do whatever we want. So there's many Canadians, especially younger Canadians, who are looking at themselves and saying, I got my two shots. I think the worst is now behind us, but it's really tough to tell. You know, we are heading into the third year of this pandemic if we get to March, uh, uh, and, and it's definitely complicated, especially for the younger generations that are sacrificing a lot more when it comes to things that they want to do and can do because of the pandemic. So interesting. How uh, satisfied are folks with uh, how the government's handled the pandemic? Well, this has been consistent for the past few months, and we see usually more than three out of five Canadians, so higher than 60%, who believe that the federal government has handled things properly. Um, the numbers were actually higher at the start of the pandemic. You know, we were having all of those daily press conferences with Justin Trudeau. We had a lot of money to go around for people who lost their jobs. But the numbers really haven't dipped that much over the past year. When you look at specific provinces, there's a bit of a difference. Uh, Quebec and B.C. tend to do very well. Ontario is usually stagnant. And the numbers in Alberta are very low. Right now it's 42 percent. But at one point this year, it went down to 29%. So there's definitely a situation with specific governments that have been able to connect very well with people. Quebec and BC are certainly at the top of the list. Uh, Mario, what, what surprised you the most about these results? I would say one of the things that is quite interesting is we look at the emotional connection of people with the pandemic. 
but our behavior hasn't changed. And, you know, one of the things that I was really curious about is, are we getting fatigued of this? Are we heading into a situation where Canadians are going to start to behave in a way that is dangerous? You know, it's essentially looking at themselves in the mirror and saying, I've had it with this pandemic. I'm just going to go out. I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm not going to be careful. And the reality is we continue to see almost 80% of us who say, I'm wearing a mask every time I go out. And I believe that it's right to make people wear a mask when they go out. So, our behavior is there. You know, emotionally, we're definitely unhappy, and we thought that things were going to end a couple of months ago or six months ago, um, but we're not changing our own behavior. And to me, that is the key to the exercise. We might be upset because we have to do this, but it doesn't mean that we're going to give up. Mario, that is so interesting. You're right. Emotionally, people are absolutely fed up. I've also wondered if they, if people will just reach a certain point, a tipping point where they say like enough is enough, forget these masks and I, I'm done with it all. I'm going to do my own thing. Um, but are people sticking to the same behavior, do you think, across Canada? Or are we seeing that more in some provinces over others? Well, we see that more, uh, particularly with women. And that has been one of the examples of the pandemic, going back to March 2020, going back to the moment when we were told to wear masks, uh, the number of women who say that they're always wearing a mask when they go out has always been higher than men. Uh-huh. It's always been higher with the over 55. So thank you, women, for doing what you have to do, because <laughs> men have a lot of work to do. We haven't been able to bridge that gap when it comes to mask wearing. And we've been asking this question almost for two years. So thank you. <laughs> I wonder also if uh, this is something, this issue is something that the provincial government has to keep a close eye on monitoring how much they can put on people and how much people can emotionally stand before they alter behavior. What do you think? Well, it's actually the toughest uh, that they've faced because this is happening right before the holidays. And, you know, we can go back to where we were a year ago. You know, Don't see anybody, don't travel, don't do anything. And a couple of months ago, we had very different restrictions. We were told you can go to the United States, you're all fully vaccinated, it's fine. So a lot of people plan to do things next week and may not be able to actually go ahead with those plans. So it's very complicated. If we had had Omicron happening, let's say in the middle of February, it would have been completely different. But the emotional attachment that we have to the holidays is going to make this even more complicated. And it makes it tougher for governments to say, we know you want to celebrate, we know you want to travel, but this is not the right time for it. Absolutely. Just quickly, Mario, one last question. I'm curious where you expect things to trend next. Well, one of the things that is crucial to me is uh, what is going to happen after everybody gets their third shot. And, you know, we went through that process of optimism after everybody got their second shot of the vaccine and the numbers were climbing. People expected this to not go anywhere. It really depends on what happens with Omicron, because if the hospitals start to get crowded, then people are going to start to react very negatively to this. And it's not something that is going to be solved with just one shot. I think it takes a lot of effort, particularly on the part of the government, to convince people that this is not the same situation that we faced back in 2020. Fascinating stuff. Thank you for being with us this morning, Mario. My pleasure, Reggie. Anytime.
A new innovation is coming to town. Braille signs are being installed at every Metro Vancouver bus stop. That's 8,400 bus stops. And the signage is going to include information written in both unified English Braille and raised tactile letters. That's going to affect bus stop ID numbers, bus routes serving that bus stop, also bay or bus stop indicators, and customer information phone number. Here to talk about it with me is Shruti Shrava. She is the program coordinator for children and youth programs at the CNIB. That's the Canadian Institute for the Blind. Good morning, Shruti. Good morning. How are you? Doing great. I love this story. But before we talk Mm -hmm. about this new change of Braille signage at bus stops, could you please share with me from your perspective, without this service, what is taking transit like for people who live with sight loss? Um, It is a bit challenging only in that because it takes away some of the independence um, I find that sometimes when I'm at a bus stop, I have to ask people, um, especially if there's a bunch of buses that stop at the same stop, what bus this is, um, sometimes the driver, um, or even if I know it's a bay, sometimes it's challenging to find that bay without not knowing like what's written on the poles. Um, and so I feel like it just makes it a bit challenging for someone like myself. Like imagine those poles not having visual, like, like like written on it and having people who have sight trying to find it. Um, it, it, is, it is a bit challenging in that way. So I feel like it's just, it it makes it a bit more challenging in, in the sense that it takes away the independence and you kind of have to rely on people a bit more. Yeah. Um, so for example, which, if you're at a, a bay um, and you're yes. going to take a bus and you're not familiar with that bay, like no. w- what do you personally do to navigate the space then? Well, what I usually do is I'll call TransLink beforehand. Uh, and I'll say, um, I'm going to the CNIB office. I need you to tell me what buses I need to take. And they'll say, okay, you have to take uh, you know, this bus from this bay. And so I know the bay number, and then it's just me trying to kind of find the bay. Um, and then I try to ask them, and they try to help me as best they can with the Google Maps. But then it's like, you just kind of have to, ha- it's kind of try to pull someone aside. Um, and for me, it's not... It is okay because I do have some sense, so I can kind of see people where people are or if they're walking by me. But I just imagine people who have no sight and how are they going to pull someone aside? They can't even see who's walking by them, so it's even worse. So, Yash, sorry, what do they do then if they have no sight? I'm not sure. Like, I don't, I have not asked my friends who can't see, um, but I think it's just, kind of calling out into the wind, really, like try to, try to see if you can find someone or maybe um, maybe just standing at one of the bays and, and trying to ask the bus driver for help. Um, this is usually what my friends tell me they do. So it's even worse if you can't see at all. Yeah, and in a city mm-hmm. like uh, anywhere, really, in Metro Vancouver, where the weather is often uh, rainy, that might be yeah. a very frustrating process to have to go through. Yeah, it's just more stress on top of the other stresses the weather. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So from your description, Mm -hmm. uh, Braille signs at bus stops almost sound like common sense. What do you think took so long for this development to come about? Um, I think it's just that people weren't, you know, I guess uh, they were not aware of just how important it is. Um, And it's always like, you know, with everything, um, it just takes a people voices you know speaking up um advocacy itself or just letting people know we do need this um i remember a time before those gps announcements on buses 
um, and how challenging it was because sometimes you'd have to ask the bus driver, hey, um, I need you to get me off at this stop and then sometimes they would forget. So um, I remember the time like, when we had that. Um, I, just, I think it just takes people who have actually been going through that to to rise up and then speak up and then join together and make that argument. Um Otherwise, I just feel like people, because we do live in a sighted world, and people don't realize that, you know, that is missing. Because to them, it's like, okay, no, we have it written, so we're good. Um, and I think it's just, it takes people who don't have sight, who people who can't use those services to to really say something about it before they even know it's an issue. Yeah, Shruti, from your understanding of how this Braille signage at bus stops is going to work, do you see it being effective? Will it be helpful for people who don't have sight? I think it will, um, especially because they're going to have uh, the raised tactile to indicate um, where the bus stop is. So it'll make it easier for for people to find the bus stop itself with the cane and then um, be able to read it. And I'm also really uh, glad that they're putting it in raised tactile as well as Braille because... Um, that way it's even more accessible for people because a lot of people who have sight loss never learn how to read Braille, but they know how to read the print letters and they know what they those feel like. Um, so it's like extremely accessible for both ends. And um, I, like, I know that I will definitely be using that service. Um, so I think it'll be helpful. Um, that way you know, I don't have to ask someone, you know, what bus is this? Where is it going? When is it coming? Um so I, I know, and I have a couple of friends who are my age who have sight loss um, who would definitely be using the service. That's great to hear. Shruti, you live with sight loss, and a lot of people listening don't know what that's like. So can you uh, shed some knowledge on this for us, on what other obstacles might you face uh, when it comes to getting around besides uh, this uh, tactile and, and Braille edition? Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, sometimes, especially when you're in a new area and you've never been in like, that area before, it's just the obstacle is just trying to find where you are because you're just not familiar with that area. And then, like you said, with the weather, if it's snowing, um, snowing snow just causes a lot of obstructions um, in, in the way that it works. Um, it's it's I think those two things, like the weather, um, with the way it is with the snow, sometimes even the rain, when there's too much of it. Or if you're just in a in an area where you've never been, trying to find those different bays, trying to find that different stop, um, with the interference of traffic and stuff, it's it is a bit challenging because you can't just use your eyes to read the street names or your or the bus stop names. Um, those are the two challenges I've faced if, if I'm in an unfamiliar territory for sure. But if if I'm somewhere where I've always been there for years, you know, I know where I am. Um, but but it's challenging in, in that way. And sometimes, you know, when there is no indicator, you don't know where there's a bus stop. Because sometimes, um, especially when it's nighttime, I think nighttime just makes it even more worse because it just changes everything. Because when there's light, and people who have partial sight definitely use the light to their its full advantage. And when, there is, when it's dark, it's a bit more challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it hard to find bus stops unless they have the bus shelter with the light. Um but there's a light that says, okay, here's the bus stop, but sometimes they don't have the shelters. Yeah. Um, they don't have the bench. And I think like, that might be even uh, helpful for people who do have sight, in fact. Yeah, no, because it's like a pole and it's dark. And yes. Sometimes people might not notice it. I think 
having a raised tactile platform to indicate that stop. And then you're like, oh, there's a bus stop here. Let me see yes. the bus I need to take. Oh, Shruti, the way you describe it, it sounds so sensible. Thank you so much for coming on our show to talk to us about this. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the Weekend Mornings with Raji Sohal podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And you can listen to the show live on 980 CKNW from 6 to 9 a.m. every Sunday. Have a great week.